This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios. Speak and be heard. This podcast is also brought to you by Instant Imprints. Promote better with Instant Imprints. Instant Imprints are Boise's visual communications experts and your place for everything you need to promote your business, club, school, or group. As a locally owned business, Instant Imprints specializes in making your organization more visible with custom branded apparel, embroidery, promotional items, print services, and wide format printing for signs, as well as banners and vehicle graphics. Want better ways to get noticed? You better visit Instant Imprints at instantimprints.com slash Boise or call 208-IMPRINT. That is 208-467-7468. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Megan O'Laughlin. Um, I'm going to have her introduce kind of her uh, credentials because I don't want to get them wrong. Uh, but full disclosure, Megan and I did grow up together in a little town, Moscow, Idaho, your quintessential college town. Uh, so we'll probably get into that too. But Megan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here, and I just love all the work that you're doing and all the help that you're putting out there. So thank you. I'm excited to chat about stuff today, including growing up in a little college town. Yeah, awesome. Well, I and I wanted to interview you because you are also a mental health advocate and and you have your own area that you work in. So just kind of tell tell everybody a little bit about you and and what you do. Yeah, so I wear two hats really as a professional. So I'm a clinical social worker and I have a private practice where I do therapy with teenagers and adults. And I help people a lot with things like anxiety, eating disorders. And really, we look a lot at behavioral change. That's really the thing that I'm often helping people with is bringing new behaviors into their lives and also addressing the behaviors that are causing problems in their lives. Now, the other hat that I wear is I teach mindfulness courses. Um, So both of these things really go hand in hand, but I teach classes. They're all online now um, on how to meditate, how to bring mindfulness just into day-to-day life. It doesn't just have to be sitting and meditating. There's really so many ways that we can be more present, more mindful, and more aware. Yeah, I mean, both those areas are fantastic and and not necessarily like specializing in in drinking or anything, but but you have your own story, your own views about drinking. Um, So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, and and that's really true. As a in my work life, I don't specialize as a therapist in treating substance use disorders. I honestly will often refer out if that's really the primary need for treatment. 
although really for a lot of people, it's something that comes up and that's something that you're really addressing a lot is kind of that gray area of problems with alcohol. Cause I think a lot of us were kind of taught to think of it as like, either it's fine or you're like in jail and then going to AA, like something really severe. So for, for me, yeah, I actually, yesterday was my three year sober anniversary. It's now been three years since I completely stopped drinking. So it's been a personal decision that I made in my life. Um, and has, I mean, looking back over the three years, life is so much better without alcohol in it. And I really don't think I'm ever going to be going back. Yeah. So what, what made you decide to quit drinking? Well, yeah, that's always a big question, isn't it? I know a few of my friends said that it really looked on the outside like I just stopped. Like I was all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, I quit drinking six months ago. Mm-hmm. And then I and it wasn't really an issue. And I just kind of didn't drink anymore. And it probably did kind of look like that. I didn't make a big announcement that I was stopping. I think I told a couple people, but it was mainly something I was just really working on with myself. But really before that time, there were years and years and years of contemplating this change and really trying to moderate my drinking. And moderating my drinking wasn't very effective. And ultimately, I just decided that not even having that be a question in my mind anymore was something that I preferred and that I wanted to have my focus on something else or many other things. Yeah, I mean... So I think it was probably, I mean, probably like 20 years almost, I think, of just, you know, thinking about it, pondering it. I was always rather fascinated by people who didn't drink and communities that didn't drink. Like, wow, what's that like? And after a while, I realized, oh, you know, probably part of the reason I'm interested in this is because it's something I would like in my life. Yeah, I mean, same, same here. Like I wanted to moderate to me that my goal when I first started to cut back on drinking or think about drinking was to drink like a normal person, (laughs) quote unquote, (laughs) right? Like I, I didn't want to completely cut it out of my life. I just wasn't ready to do that yet. Um, But like you said, you spend so much time thinking about it and, and trying to moderate um, and then just growing up around it, I mean, what what was it like? I can think about my experience growing up in Moscow, um, University of Idaho, big party school, party town, um, high school as well. Like, what what was it like for you? What was your experience like? I know we have similar experiences, but... What was it like? Yeah, we have similar experiences. We were often hanging out at the same places with the same people. There was a lot of that. Um, I mean, drinking was normal. So when you say, I want to drink like a normal person, you know, that was an aspiration that I had too. But then you take a step back and kind of look at like, well, what is normal? And I think in my environment and what I was exposed to growing up in Moscow and also with my family, um, I think the drinking was actually 
not necessarily what we would consider normal. It was a lot more than normal. And that's actually so common that we all think that that's normal. Um, and really, in, when I started training as a therapist and kind of learning, you know, when we would want to be flagging something as maybe an issue with drinking, it was like, really, only a couple drinks a day? And that's a problem? Really? <laughs> um, but it is because it indicates that the alcohol is being used as something, um, oftentimes to feel better, to avoid something. And that that really doesn't have, it has an impact. It has an impact on the body. It has an impact on the emotions. It impacts relationships. So going back to what it was like growing up in Moscow, I mean, I just remember I hit a certain age and it was like, yep, this is what you do now. You know, you go out and go to parties and that felt just like the regular thing to do. And it didn't really even seem like an option for me to not do it, to be honest. Yeah, I'd, so, it's what our what our tribe did, what we did. <laughs> but you know, you kind of escaped the bubble a bit because I I was thinking about I remember you did a um a year or so I could be wrong, but you did a foreign exchange when you were in high school, right? Yes. Now, Debbie, my foreign exchange was in Finland which is a country where people drink a lot. <laughs> well, I was curious about what it was like being in in that culture. You know, it's like, was it just our small town? Probably not. So what was it like in mm -hmm. Finland? Well, I remember at one point my parents came to visit me there and they were staying kind of like in the middle of the, like the city center where I was living and they decided to like go out and kind of go on a walk at night. And they saw that there were just a whole bunch of teenagers. I was not one of them, by the way. They saw a bunch of Finnish teenagers out on the street drinking and throwing up and passing out and just, you know, complete like debauchery, really. And they were like, what did we do sending our child here? <laughs> Um, so it was very similar there where, uh, drinking was really normal. And for me, you know, and this is what all that kind of set me up for was, um, I was really a social drinker. Um, when I socialized and when I went out, I drank. And when I really started to try to stop drinking or moderate my drinking, it made socializing really hard. Like I didn't really drink at home a whole lot by myself or just with my family. Maybe I'd have a drink or two here and there. But when I would go out, you know, if you invited me to go out and sing karaoke, I would stay out until three in the morning doing it and have a great time. You know, I loved that kind of stuff. And then when I wasn't drinking anymore or really trying not to, I kind of realized that the, the personality I thought I always had is kind of like a, sort of loud, fun, like party girl is actually not me. <laughs> I was like, wow, I think I'm a lot more serious than, than I realized before. And that I don't actually like big parties and big get togethers. I mean, I am a therapist. I prefer small get togethers, one-on-one -on -one conversations, things like that. I do still really like to sing karaoke though. So <laughs> I will still go out and do that. Okay, what's your carry what's your stone cold sober karaoke song? 
So I like to sing Van Hagar songs because I think they're really fun. So I would say Love Comes Walking In by Van Hagar. I don't a good even one. know that. I think you'd recognize it if okay. you heard it because it was a very popular song in our childhood. You know, Van Halen when Sammy Hagar was the singer. Oh, it's like a super. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Van yeah. Halen. Super cheesy love ballad, like about aliens. Oh, okay. It's a very strange song. Got yeah. it. Got it. Okay. All right, girl. Where are we going to go do What sober? about you? What's, what's yours? Well, I, um, it, this was a question Ryan had for me last week and I said, Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> but I don't Whoa, know if I could. A, yeah. It's, a lot. I know. i like to torture people. Um, <laughs> So yeah, going back to, so, so that, so in Finland, the culture was drinking in little Moscow, Idaho, college town, the culture was drinking, but then also after college, you were in the Peace Corps and tell me a yeah. little bit about that and if that involved drinking and what that was like. Yeah. So that was really my, my first rodeo with this realm of not drinking I went to, you know, straight from college in Moscow to serving with the Peace Corps. I was there for two years in the Gambia in West Africa. The Gambia is predominantly a Muslim country. So there was no drinking. Mm -hmm. Drinking did not happen there. And in fact, if I had wanted to drink, you know, kind of like sit on my little porch in my little house and have a beer, I probably would have been ostracized in the village where I lived. Like it was just really not a part of anything that people did because it's completely against the religion. So I, yeah. And I would, I really saw that, okay, people, they have fun without alcohol. They relax without alcohol. They grieve without alcohol and they have parties without alcohol. And it was a wake up call for me to really recognize um, some of the struggles I was having just to really like deal with my emotions and, you know, being alone, being bored, um, being in a really uncomfortable situation, even though in a lot of ways it was really awesome. I had a wonderful experience, but it was very hard too. And to not have that kind of crutch of alcohol to, to use all the time was hard. So that was actually when I started meditating a lot because I would read a lot of books. And so I got really into reading about Buddhism and meditation. And so I started meditating as a way to just kind of help myself out. Now, I will say that there was something else that happened in the Peace Corps, which is when all the volunteers got together, we would definitely go to the other extreme, <laughs> and like very big parties and lots of drinking um, so there was also this kind of like a feeling of living like two lives while I was there too, kind of like being in the village and then going to the city and hanging out with other volunteers and partying a lot. Yeah, that's, that's, but so that was when I really first started to think like, yeah, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe this is something I could take back with me and, you know, maybe not, not drink. So I started to really think about that while I was there because I recognized like I felt better. Um, it was nice to 
I often had that thing happen. I know it's kind of common. I don't know if you ever had this happen where I would go out and socialize. And then the next day I'd be like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that and kind of like rehash everything. And it would feel really horrible. Um, that was very common for me when I drank and to get some relief from that was pretty nice. Would that something that ever happened to you when you were drinking? Oh, a hundred percent. Or I wouldn't even remember what I said or did (laughs) or definitely um, just trying to piece together the night before. I mean, it was like living your own hangover movie, but not funny and no tigers or Mike Tyson. (laughs) Thank goodness for that. At least not as far as we know, right? (laughs) Nobody died. But, you know, we got close. Um, mm-hmm. So after the Peace Corps, then what was your life like when you came back to the States? Um, it was confusing. I mean, because it was that age. I was 25 when I came back and uh, 9-11 happened while I was there. So the country was really different. Um, I just also didn't really know, like, who am I and what am I doing And when I came back, I moved around a bit. I was in Boise for a little while and um, and moved around and eventually got into grad school and started doing all of that. Um, But that was when I was starting to experiment here and there with moderation and sobriety. And I think I was really for a long time kind of accumulating data about what made sense for my life, including alcohol, Um, you know, really noticing the ways that it was affecting my life and the things that I didn't like about it. And that went on for quite a while. Yeah. When I moved to Seattle, Mm -hmm. I started studying a lot with some Buddhist teachers. So that was another exposure to like communities where alcohol is just not a feature. So that was interesting as well. And and so then what, you know, you, you, you got to the point where you did just give it up. How, how did you get there? What, what kind of tools did you use or what was helpful for you? Yeah, well, lots of tools. I mean, I think the toolbox needs to be just completely full for mm-hmm. anything like this. Um, behavioral change is really hard and we all tend to underestimate how difficult it really is. Um, We want to make the change immediately. We want to do the whole change all at once. And a lot of times the sustainable changes are done over a shorter or a longer period of time in smaller increments. So I, like I said, I was accumulating information for myself and I was trying out at one point when I was around 30, I think I went like nine or 10 months without drinking at all. So I was seeing like, I feel better. I sleep better. But the really big thing, and I think what was finally just it for me, when I finally decided to just stop, when my daughter was about three, and I really wanted to tune in to my values. So I think anytime we're making a behavioral change, we want to tie it into really important values that we have. Um, we often get really hung up on the reasons that the behavior is bad and why we don't want to do it, which, you know, that's, of course, we're going to pay attention to that. Of course, that's going to come up. 
but it tends to bring up a lot of shame and anger and sadness. Those emotions are often so difficult and discouraging that we might actually end up going back to the very behavior we want to change, right? Totally. So like that can, all, I, that can be why you drink. Oh God, I feel terrible. I'm, you know, I'm a terrible person. Shame. I need a drink. It'll make it go away. So yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. That cycle of like, I'm going to stop. I'm a new person now. Um, and then not stopping, not being a new person, still being the same person. And then drinking again and feeling terrible about it. Yeah. So I wanted, you know, I really wanted to apply like, okay, I know a lot about behavioral change. This is like what I do for a living. I help people with it all the time. I've learned a lot of methods that like really work. And one of the big things is to really connect a behavioral change with like really important things in your life. So not just tuning in to the difficult emotions and the problems with the behavior, but like the vision, what would my life be like if I didn't do this? So the big thing for me, the value that I really tuned into was that I don't want my daughter to see me drinking. I want my daughter to have the experience of growing up with a parent who doesn't drink. Yeah, And, and I don't know what she'll do with that. I don't know how that'll influence her. But for me, that's really, really meaningful. I think that a lot of people, once they have kids, that that their relationship with alcohol changes. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe when I had kids and when they were little, I definitely drank more. <laughs> um, but like you said, when they get older, it's like, wow, do I want to be that drunk mom? I, I remember my daughter and her friend would call me Drunk Debbie. And I was just like horrified, like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. So, so oh, having your daughter yeah. and when she got a little older, that was like one of your big whys mm -hmm. and one of your values. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little yep. bit more about your values lining up with behavioral change. Like how, tell me a little bit more about that. Just in general, like values yeah. lining up with behavioral change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the, the example that I gave is one that I come back to all the time for some reason. Well, it's probably because it was dark winter and during a pandemic, but around like the holidays this year, I kept thinking like, God, I would really like a glass of wine. Maybe I'll just have a glass of wine. And then I would come back to this whole thing where, nope, I made this commitment to myself and I, I don't want my daughter to see me drinking and I want her to have this experience of a parent who doesn't drink. Like I've just reminded myself of it so many times. It's like an anchor for me. And I think when we tune into these big values, that's really the purpose they can serve. I, we can't expect ourselves to make a big change in our lives without it connecting to a bigger value. Cause otherwise what's the point of doing all of that work? Because it is a lot of work. Right. Like Behavioral you, change is so hard, so much work, and there's probably going to be a lot of trial and error. Yes, you have to give it meaning and a bigger meaning and, and a positive yep. meaning too, like you talked about, not tying exactly. it to all the negative emotions, like tying it to 
not what are you giving up, but what are you gaining? Yep. Our brains tend to go to the problem stuff and the negative stuff. That's just in case anyone listening doesn't know that, that's how our, all of our brains are wired. We all have a negativity bias where we do that. Well, and why? yet that isn't really enough to drive a big change. In fact, it might be discouraging and depressing enough that you just keep doing it. Why do, why do we go to the negative? Yes, good question. So there's lots of cool info on this. If you ever want to look it up, you can just Google negativity bias. Mm-hmm. The theory behind it is that it's helped us to survive for a really long time, that we pay more attention to things that are difficult, and we remember things that are difficult more than fun things and positive things because it's protective. So if you think of survival, it's actually going to be better for survival to remember like, oh, don't go in that cave because a bear lives in there than to remember like a beautiful sunset that I saw three months ago. So our brains are hardwired through years and years and years of evolution to really be skewed towards the negative. So we got to help ourselves out and be like, okay, brain, I get it. There's lots of problems with this. And also why would this be helpful? Like what would be, what would be so wonderful in my life if I did shift this behavior and change this behavior? Yeah. So how has your life changed in the last three years since giving up drinking? Well, I certainly sleep a lot better and sleep is a, is a very, very important thing for me. So um, even beyond the, yeah, it's huge. Even beyond the thing about my daughter, like that was another big reason was just recognizing, you know, just, I liked, I liked red wine. That was what I really liked to drink. And I would even have one glass and I would wake up in the middle of the night and have a headache and everything. I was like, man, this sucks. (laughs) Getting older is tough. So I sleep better. I feel better. I have much more energy. Um, When I've gone out to eat, it's like shocking to get the bill, especially at first. Like, that's it? Because alcohol is really expensive, especially when you're going out. Not that we really go out anymore, but when we used to. Um, so yeah, there's a big money saver. Uh, so I, you know, I just have more time, uh, at night when maybe sometimes I would be drinking instead, um, or even just having a little, you know, a glass of wine here and there. I usually am reading or meditating and I think it's deepened some friendships in a way too. It's definitely changed the ways that I socialize, um, cause I, I moved out of the city a little while before I quit drinking too. So that's also changed it that I'm out in the country now. So I have to put a lot more effort into seeing people. Um, But, you know, I do more of the kinds of socializing that I really prefer, which is, you know, meeting up with people in small groups or one-on-one rather than going out and doing big gatherings and whatnot. So life is better. I mean, I just feel better. Yeah, definitely worth it. That that's what Val and I were talking about. It's like taking a sparkle pill. Pill. It's like 
you, not that life was bad before either. Like I, I want to mm-hmm. emphasize that for a lot of people who just, you know, they're drinking and it's, eh, maybe they can kind of handle it, maybe not. But, but when you don't drink, it's just like the filter is off. Like you can see so much clearer, just everything is just better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everything is better. And that's a really good point, too, is it doesn't mean that things were really bad before. And I think that's so important for everyone to be talking about and looking at is that the decision to stop drinking and taking alcohol out of your life doesn't have to be related to my life is so miserable with alcohol in it. Life is so miserable. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's so I work in the wellness industry and how alcohol has kind of gotten tied into the wellness industry. And as part of self-care, it's like, mm, I don't think so. like if you're going to be eating all organic and or vegan or you do yoga, like yoga and wine, you know, that's a thing. Like that just seems a little counterintuitive to me. Like, Yoga and wine and goat. I mean, there's all sorts of things now. Yeah. I mean, that was me for a while, Debbie. Like I would, you know, eat organic, do my yoga, and I would make sure I was drinking organic wine. So, and it's okay, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I was just looking at um, some gal's account or something, and it was all about clean drinking. Well, you'll see a lot of clean drinking uh, that organic wine that you talk about or the simplified cocktail or, you know, taking the toxins out of <laughs> those drinks when it's like alcohol is the toxin. So Yeah. If you want to take the toxin out, then just like have the like tonic water or whatever. <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> well, what, what other tools do you recommend? And I know we're going to have you back, Megan, because I know that you have a whole bunch of tools and mindfulness tips and tricks, but Mm -hmm. um, what's another one you could share? Oh, well, I think that there are a lot and mindfulness is definitely a big part of it because if we're going to change anything, we got to be aware of it. So I think even looking at certain like triggers for drinking. And when, like I was saying that mine was usually going out for social events, you know, that's when I would tend to drink a lot for other people. And I think you said on the podcast, Debbie, that it was like relaxing at home at night. You know, that's a common one too. Um, So pinpointing those times when the drinking is more likely to happen and having a plan. You know, not just assuming that the commitment is enough. The commitment is really important because you got to come back to that base. But then we can't just expect one behavior to go away without replacing it with something else. So have other things to do. Um, I I like to drink, uh, like my favorite right now is having the Topo Chico. I love that stuff. Um, I don't know so what that is. Some kind of, what is that? Oh my gosh. It's very, very good. You have to go find some. It's it's just sparkling water. 
Uh, but it's really good. It's from Mexico and it's like especially bubbly and really fresh tasting. Sometimes I just cut up a little lemon slice and put it in there. It's very delicious. I remember when I first was giving up drinking too or doing a dry month or whatever. (laughs) I would, I think I just like to drink and it doesn't matter what sometimes, but like I would just go through the LaCroix. Like I'd have four a night or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah you're right. Is, like, I mean, it is a ritual. Yeah, it's a ritual for a lot of people to be like, I'm done with work. It's nighttime. Now I have a beer or a glass of wine or mm-hmm. I mix a drink. And like, you can still do that. You just do it without alcohol. And then the ritual is still there. So you're basically replacing one thing with something else. So that I think is, that's a very basic one that probably a lot of people think about. Um, I also think that if, you know, this is often what I put out there when it comes to this question of like, is my drinking a problem or really is any other behavior a problem is if it's being used as a way to avoid emotions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times alcohol is used in that way. You know, you feel bad, you're stressed out, so you drink. And that means that there needs to be some skills to deal with stress and to deal with emotions. 100%. And there's a lot of different things to do with that, which I know you and I are going to be getting into. I mean, the first step is just awareness of what the emotion even is. So even just taking a moment to stop and observe, you know, like, what am I thinking? What am I feeling in my body? What are my urges right now? You know, maybe the urge is to go grab a drink and like observing it. And the interesting thing is if we kind of stop what we're doing and just observe in that way, a lot of times the urges pass, the emotions might pass. It's not going to stay there, but we don't know that because a lot of times we feel that way and we just go right to the behavior. Yeah, you go. So that's actually a skip. Yeah, I get it. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you feel like, oh, I mean, how many times do you hear people say, like, oh, shit, I need a drink? Like, or or it's just like, Mm -hmm. I got to tell you something, you better get a drink. Like, it's just like, you can't even feel it. You need a drink so that you don't feel that anxiety or stress or whatever it is anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so it's like, well, what is that when I tell myself, oh, my God, I need a drink? Like, why? So what, what is happening that, it, that I have to get away from? Like, what is that? Now, if it's something like, oh, I'm just having a drink because I like to and I do it every once in a while, like, great, you know, fine. I'm, not, I'm definitely not, I, I don't mind when other people drink. It's fine. Uh, everybody has to do their own thing. Right? <laughs> However, I think that's just something to be on the lookout for is if it's a form of avoidance and escape. Anything that's a form of avoidance and escape, not just alcohol, that's probably bringing up some problems. And there's probably a need for some checking in with the self about what's really going on. Yeah, definitely checking in with yourself. And we don't like, as humans, we do not like to feel uncomfortable. Mm -mm. Nope. No, and I think especially with teaching mindfulness, I think that's kind of like what what we're actually practicing is 
recognizing discomfort and building up a capacity to be with it. Because the more we do that, the more we build our own confidence in recognizing that like it's actually tolerable. Like, yeah, it's not fun. I don't like feeling sad or being in pain or whatever it might be. But like I can handle it because we also recognize that when we try to avoid that kind of stuff, we tend to make life harder. That's often where a lot of suffering can come in. Yeah, definitely. And you, I mean, you have to, like you said, like you have to acknowledge it first. You have to hold, like you physically have to hold that emotion, that uncomfortable feeling. You have to grab it, hold it, acknowledge it before you can let it go. Mm-hmm. Yep. So much yep. good stuff. So much good stuff. Well, what what haven't I asked you today? Because you're coming back. <laughs> what haven't I asked today that I should ask? Hmm. I am not sure. I thought you were going to ask me some questions about um, our Moscow days. <laughs> I was waiting for like a Dutch goose question or something. Oh, <laughs> how much was the mind. drink special Thursday nights at the Dutch goose? Uh, it was dollar pint night. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy to think about now. I mean, it was a long time ago, but yeah, dollar pint night. Mm, yeah, yeah, I know. I've, you know, I've, I've actually been thinking a lot about, when I was younger and drinking and would I have stopped? Like I didn't want to stop, like I said, for a long time. Um, but once I got there, like that's all I could think about probably for the last 10 years, I'd say. <laughs> um, but mm -hmm. yeah, what Ryan was asking like, what would you say to college students? And what would I say to my college self? I, I kind of think back and I didn't see it as a problem because like, like we talked about, for us, it was normal to like binge drink, to throw up in your mm -hmm. bed at night, to kind of brag about how hungover you were. <laughs> like that was just what you did. And you got over your hangovers much quicker, but that's something I've been pondering a lot, especially as my kids are getting older and I have a niece who's in college, like, huh, what? I mean, that's a whole nother topic for, for another time, but just youth and drinking is a lot different than being our age and drinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes our reasons for not wanting to drink is kind of like, oh, I can't sleep very well, or I feel terrible, or like my kids are seeing me drunk, you know, and like when you're 20, it's like ever, if a lot of other people are doing it, your body recovers really quickly, it may, might not really seem like much of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember in the Moscow days, um, I was just going all the time. I was either working or doing stuff for school. And I always had like a huge load of classes. Like I remember my advisor would always be like, don't take this many classes. And I'd be like, I'm going to do it. So I was always like over, overworked. And then when I wasn't doing one of those two things, school or, or work, I was out drinking. Well, that was like and our, somehow 
Yeah. I just kept up with it. It's it's amazing oh, what the young too. body can do. Me too. But <laughs> I like that was my uh, stress relief. That was my fun. Mm-hmm. That was, um, yeah, so interesting. Kids and yeah. youth. Okay. So not a lot of what we're talking about of taking a moment to go, what's going on with me right now? What am I feeling? There wasn't any of that back then, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, it's something I've been thinking about more and I'm gonna, gonna let it marinate a bit before I can really respond in a way that might be helpful to younger mm-hmm. people. Um, mm-hmm. Well, gosh, you, you've done wonderfully today, Megan. I'm so glad that you agreed to come on here and I'm looking forward to future conversations. Um, where can people find you? Uh, well, thank you for having me on. It's been so lovely chatting with you and I am online so people can find me there. I'm on Instagram under my whole name, Megan O'Loughlin PNW, like Pacific Northwest. And then my work website is wholeheartpnw.com. The name of my business is Whole Heart Wellness. And even though I am a mental health therapist, I am only licensed to practice in Washington, even with telehealth. Um, But my mindfulness classes are open to anybody who wants to come in for them. And they're definitely beginner friendly. Oh, that's fantastic. And that, I mean, for people who haven't tried a mindfulness class, I know that and I had been reluctant to do mindfulness before. I was like, well, that's a little woo-woo. But I <laughs> I highly recommend just you dipping your toes in it, taking a class that really walks you through how to do it, like Megan offers. Um, and it's, it's so just useful life skills for any area of your life. Mm-hmm. So fantastic. Yes, and practicing with a group is helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, just like we're talking about drinking in a group, it influences you. Practicing meditation and mindfulness in a group can help also. Yeah, Yeah. good good tools, good stuff. Okay, well, we will have you on again in the future. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Alcohol Tipping Point again. Have a wonderful day wherever you're at. Keep going. Keep practicing. It's practice, not perfection. You're worth it. You can always find me at alcoholtippingpoint.com or on Insta at Alcohol Tipping Point. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point. I'm always here for you guys. So please feel free to reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point. And check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com. Again, I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, see you next time. Mm-hmm.